Albright, and today I'm going to be talking about G. Gordon Liddy and his involvement in Watergate. He was best known for his collision in the Watergate scandal during the Nixon administration. In 1973, he was convicted for his role in the conspiracy to burglarize and bug the Democratic Party's headquarters at the Watergate office complex in Washington, D.C., infamously known as the Watergate scandal. But he was also a former FBI agent, soldier, lawyer, father, talk show host, actor, aircraft pilot, politician, public speaker, and author. Born in Brooklyn, New York on November 30th, 1930, G. Gordon Liddy was the son of Maria A. Liddy and Sylvester J. Liddy. His father, Sylvester, was a lawyer and the mayor of West Cadwell, New Jersey. G. Gordon was named after his father's mentor, George Gordon Battle. Battle was known as one of New York City's outstanding lawyers. Liddy's respect for law and order was partially instilled in him by his uncle Ray Abesito, who was a career agent with the FBI. Gordon was always talking about his uncle being an FBI agent. Thomas Hedden, a friend who lived around the quarter from Liddy, said, Those were the days when it was an FBI associated with the rip-roaring days of John Dilger, of G-men capturing public enemies, and it was quite a thing for Gordon, as it would have been for all of us, to have an uncle who was a G-man. Liddy was athletic, a good student, devoted churchgoer, and very tenuous. One time, when playing a game called Soldier in the Woods with friends, it began to rain, and others quit and took cover, but Liddy continued hiding and searching to complete the mission. The Liddy family moved across the river to Hoboken, where he attended school K-8. through For high school, he had entered St. Benedict's Prep in Newark, New Jersey. As a child, he devoted himself to overcoming his softer human instincts by doing things like eating rats he feared and burning his hand over a candle to see how much pain he could withstand. He took it upon himself to face his fears of rats by going under a bridge to confront them, but they were good swimmers and jumped into the river. When his sister's cat killed a rat, he decided to take the heart out as he had read Native Americans had done to conquer their fears, cooked it over the fire, and ate it. When he was a young boy, he picked up a piece of hot coal and it burned him. Not wanting to have to be controlled by pain again, he conditioned himself to withstand pain by repeatedly holding burning coals. After four years of high school at St. Benedict's Prep, he then attended Fordham University in New York. He started sharing his extreme political view more frequently. He enlisted in the army during the Korean War because he felt he had to stop the communists in Korea. He wanted to be a paratrooper, but had a problem with his appendix. He did become a first lieutenant in the army. After being honorably discharged, he went to Fordham Law School and got a law degree, married, and joined the FBI. He worked as a field agent before becoming the youngest FBI supervisor in D.C. He resigned from the FBI in 1962 and went to work as a lawyer with his father. Eventually, he left the practice and went to work for the D.A. A few of the things during his years as a prosecutor that he was remembered for were several drug raids and shooting a revolver with blanks in a courtroom. In 1970, 
He was an aide to domestic affairs advisor in the executive office of the president. The next phase of his life is when the notorious Watergate crime takes place. Liddy was appointed to the committee to re-elect the president. The press teasingly referred to this group as creep. Liddy was instrumental in leading the plumbers, also known as the White House Special Investigators Unit, later referred to as Nixon's Fixers. This group was conceived to deal with the possible leaking of important papers like the Pentagon Papers. The name the plumbers was created when one of the men on the team, David Young, arrived at his grandmother's on Thanksgiving and she asked, what do you do at the White House? And he replied, I'm helping the president stop some leaks. And she exclaimed, oh, you're a plumber. Young Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy called themselves the plumbers and the name stuck. During Liddy's time on the committee to re-elect the president, Attorney General John Mitchell approved the creation of ideas of espionage and many crazy schemes to embarrass the Democratic opposition. These plots were titled Gemstone. Some of the ideas included kidnapping anti-war protesters and taking them to Mexico while Republican National Convention, which was in San Diego, other plots proposed was taking a Democratic campaign officials to the houseboat and secretly photographing them with prostitutes. Some of his ideas were dismissed and a few were approved, including breaking into a psychiatric's office because Ellsberg had given Pentagon Papers to the New York Times. Then, of course, the infamous break-in to the Democratic National Committee offices in the Watergate complex. In May of 1962, Liddy's team, frequently called the Cubans, broke into the Democratic National Headquarters. They set out to take photos and set bugs and wire traps for staff, but the devices did not work properly. So the group returned to the Watergate complex on June 17, 1972. They broke in but were quickly discovered in the building when a security guard noticed the lock on a door covered with tape. He contacted the police and they sent over some officers that were in plain clothing. Liddy and Hunt were overseeing the operation from a building adjacent to the Watergate complex. Liddy tried to notify his men about the pending bust, but they had turned down their communication equipment. The next communication across the radio was, they got us. So Liddy and Hunt quickly packed up what equipment they could, exited the building, and walked past all the police cars swimming the area. When he got home, he told his wife, things didn't go well today. I think I'm going to have to go to jail. He then went to sleep. He went to work the next day and shredded all his incriminating documents, which included $1,300 bills with incriminating serial numbers. He put them between sheets of paper so people in the office didn't think he lost his mind. Liddy admitted to supervising the second break-in, and he was convicted of burglary, conspiracy, and bugging the headquarters. The trial was 16 days, but after hearing over 60 witnesses and reviewing 100 pieces of evidence, the jury delivered a verdict in less than 90 minutes. 
This was a crime that impacted the entire country. Liddy was sentenced to a 20-year prison sentence and ordered to pay $40,000 in fines. Guilty on all eight accounts against him, he maintained a calm demeanor throughout the trial, and as the verdict was read, before being taken away, he hugged his lawyer, patted him on the back, and gave a wave to the spectators and press, then was led away. In his final statement to the jury, U.S. Attorney Earl J. Seibert told eight women and four men, when people cannot get together for political purposes without fear that their premises will be burglarized, their conversations bugged, their phones tapped, you breed distrust, you breed suspicion, you lose confidence, faith, and credibility. He asked the jury to bring in a verdict that will help restore the faith in the democratic system that has been so damaged by the conduct of these two defendants and their conspirators. After the verdict was returned, Cyber commented on it that it was fair and just. Why was this crime so popularized and high profile? Well, the security and trust of the nation had been breached, and it was critical for the American people to be informed of the truth. Freedom of the press is what led to the full disclosure of the entire Watergate scandal. The country was riveted by the misconduct, this being one of the first major political scandals the U.S. had seen. Liddy began serving his sentence on January 30, 1973. When President Jimmy Carter was in office, he reduced Liddy's sentence to eight years. He's quoted saying, in the interest of equity and fairness, based on the, a comparison of Mr. Liddy's sentence with those of all others convicted in Watergate-related prosecutions, end quote, leaving the fine in effect. This action made Liddy eligible for parole as of July 9th, 1977. While in prison, he was able to call home to his wife, Frances, and five children every once in a while. The conversations were restricted to two to three minutes. They took turns visiting him in prison twice a month. The children would take turns going with their mother. First, he was in prison in Allenwood, Pennsylvania, but then transferred to Connecticut after he was reported as the leader of a prison protest. He was released on September 7, 1977, after serving a total of four and a half years in jail, 52 months. The Watergate scandal, and in particular, Liddy's involvement, has been told in many ways. After release from prison, Liddy published an autobiography named Will. It sold more than a million copies and was also made into a television movie. He went on the college circuit and was a highly sought-out speaker. A documentary was made about the controversial lectures. Liddy's part in the scandal was also the subject of a British documentary for its series named Watergate. Many other accounts of Liddy's story exist, including one graphic novel named Watchmen by comic book author Alan Moore, with a character named Edwin Blake, loosely based on Liddy. Liddy also spread his newfound gangster fame 
through his own talk show, The G. Gordon Liddy Show, writing several nonfiction books, acting in several films and TV shows, and game shows. His story was told in so many ways and still continues to be retold in new movies, documentaries, television series, and podcasts. Examples are All the President's Men, 1976, Watergate TV series, 2008, The Post, 2017. Quick search of movies reveals more than 50 either about or referencing Watergate and several other about Liddy specifically. This high-profile crime that intrigued millions of Americans 50 years ago and into the next century will continue to be devoured content about the, quote, greatest political scandal in American history, said BBC author William E. Schmidt. In the 1970s, it was consumed by Americans watching tiny black and white televisions and reading hefty daily newspapers. And now, in 2021, it's indulged by a global audience with many kinds of media, such as 30-second video clips, vlogs, podcasts, and movies on 70-inch color televisions. But regardless of the delivery, humans are intrigued by the story and deset of corruption at the highest level. I had heard about the Watergate scandal in pop culture movies such as Forrest Gump, and I knew a little bit about Nixon, but I didn't know it was that corrupt and complex. I thought it was interesting how the press had such a big part of the investigation and how they put their lives on the line. I really thought it was interesting how it mirrored recent political situations. I wasn't completely surprised because politics are always corrupt, and it was interesting how far they went to cover it up. I was surprised that Nixon still thinks he wasn't in the wrong. He said in a 1977 interview with David Frost, well, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. In my opinion, no one is truly exempt from laws, but when given such a large amount of power, it can feel that way. Feeling untouchable can cause people to do outrageously corrupt activities. Nixon and a few other presidents come to mind. I just hope the U.S.'s future doesn't include any more similar characters.